0: I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, We Shall Respond. President Joe Biden reacts after the drone strike in Jordan that killed three U.S. troops. How this affects the war in the Middle East. Targeting the faithful. An Islamic State group strikes a Sunday mass in Turkey. We have reaction from church leaders. The
1: doctor is in. Well, if your standards are too high, you know your kids are going to rebel. That's nonsense. It's raw nonsense.
0: Catholic psychologist Dr. Ray Garendi shares advice on how to navigate a teenager's rebellious stage. And amazing grace. Find out a quick way to overcome temptations from the devil. These stories and more tonight.
2: From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly.
0: Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight. The White House says that it is mourning the deaths of three U.S. soldiers who lost their lives in the Middle East. They were killed during an attack in Jordan that wounded many more troops. President Joe Biden promises to hit back, but just when and how is still to be decided. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen.
2: Tracy, President Joe Biden called it a despicable and wholly unjust attack. The American Army soldiers at a logistic support base targeted yesterday by an unmanned drone. And the president says he'll hold all those responsible to account at a time and in a manner of our choosing. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby updates reporters on the deadly attack on U.S. soldiers in Jordan, blamed on Iranian-backed militias.
1: We're mindful of what Iran's doing in the region, and uh, we have taken aggressive action against these proxy groups and and, and on their influence in the region, and there are decisions yet to come.
2: The attack comes as Israel battles Hamas in Gaza, in a war the U.S. hopes to contain and not see spread. Just today, thousands of Palestinians fleeing for their lives, carrying whatever they can. And earlier at the Pentagon, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin expressed anger at the loss of the American troops.
1: Let me start with my outrage and sorrow for the death of three brave U.S. troops in Jordan and for the other troops who were wounded.
2: Secretary Austin returning to work after battling prostate cancer, meeting today with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, who also expressed his condolences for the fallen soldiers, and Austin issuing this warning.
1: President and I will not tolerate attack on U.S. forces and we will take all necessary actions to defend the U.S.
2: and our troops. President Biden responded to the attack yesterday after a political event in South Carolina. He called it a tough day in the Middle East. We
3: lost three brave souls in an attack on our base. Yes. i ask you the all us
2: And after that moment of silence, he added. And we shall respond. And that a Pentagon briefing today.
0: The names of those soldiers who lost their lives were Sergeant William Rivers, Specialist Kennedy Sanders, and Specialist Breonna Moffat.
2: The soldiers, all from Georgia and Army reservists, and among them, 24-year-old Specialist Kennedy Sanders, who joined up about five years ago, were told she was set to come home in June. Her parents said Kennedy, who was always smiling, volunteered to deploy, and she wanted to see the world. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN Newsnightly.
0: And they are in our prayers. All right, let's bring in Dr. Bianca Adair, Director of the Intelligence Studies Program in the Department of Politics at the Catholic University of America. Dr. Adair, great to be with you as always. I mean, this certainly is not the first drone attack on American forces in the Middle East. However, it is the first one that has resulted in the loss of life, uh, the three U.S. soldiers that Owen had talked about. How does this change the landscape? And how do you think the U.S. should respond
4: Well, first and foremost, these soldiers are obviously in our prayers, as you said, as are the wounded and their families. This is a situation that, um, I hate to say it, we can foresee it, in part because this is the first really, truly successful Iranian-backed attack against the United States, keeping in mind that there's been over 150 attempts to kill U.S. service personnel. And that is something that we have to keep in our mind. This is important also because this attack came from Syria into Jordan. It's significant because Iran's paramilitary Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, they, are, have, have, they have headquartered themselves in Syria, and they do operate with Hezbollah and other Shia militants uh, to conduct wars against uh, the Islamic State. And really the question is, is if this is an example where you may actually see the fingerprints directly of Iran on this attack. It's speculation, but it's a speculation born out of the fact that you have so many IRGC bases in Syria. It's really, really something that the the current administration has to look at and recognize that there are more deaths potential to happen because Iran has not let up these attacks.
0: Yeah, and the White House has said that has not said, rather, what it will do, but has said that the U.S. will respond uh, at the time of its choosing. Meanwhile, a number of lawmakers, many Republican, are calling on the Biden administration to hit Iran hard. Bianca, how does the U.S. send a message to Iran without escalating the situation in the Middle East? Is
4: that possible? Honestly, that's going to be the hardest question. That is the million-dollar question. The issue is Because we have taken, and I think we've heard repeatedly, this measured approach to all of these different attacks against the U.S., U.S. interests, commercial vessels, and so on. That measured approach has done nothing with respect to Iran other than to embolden it. At some point in time, there has to be a recognition this very slow and gentle approach is not working. And that means that we will have to be infinitely more aggressive. The call, though, for an attack on Iran, on Iran proper, is one, though, that I can certainly see people being very circumspect about because this is different than what the attacks are currently. So the U.S. needs to hit much harder all of those bases, all of those weapons depots, because if the United States doesn't do it, we will end up in a direct war with Iran at a time when there is instability throughout the Middle East. It's very dangerous. But we do have to do much more than we are now unless we want to end up in a direct war with Iran.
0: Yeah, and there are reports, not a whole lot of time left, but I do want to talk about this. These reports um, that the drone that struck Tower 22 in Jordan was possibly mistaken as an American drone and also that the base's auto response of its air defense system somehow was turned off. So basically no warning for the troops who were reportedly sleeping at the time. Bianca, what do you make of all this? And do you think this was maybe an intelligence failure on our part or something else?
4: Uh, Well, I do think on one hand, it's certainly a tactical intelligence failure. At this point in time, given the sheer number of drone attacks that have occurred, all of those bases, and especially any base adjacent to Syria or Iraq, must have all of those alerts uh, turned on. The mistaking the drone is, frankly, just a way that the United States is cautious in doing warfare. We're doing the right things, but we have to help ourselves by turning on those early alert systems.
0: Well, Dr. Adair, thank you so much for your time your insights. We always
4: appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: All right, now to Turkey, where ISIS has claimed responsibility for an attack on a Catholic church in Istanbul. The 52-year-old lone victim in the shooting at the Santa Maria Church was laid to rest today. While he reportedly was not Catholic, the man's relatives said that he liked to go to church and to hang out. CCTV footage shows the moment that two masked gunmen hold the door for a goer at Santa Maria Church on Sunday, just seconds before they start shooting inside. Turkish authorities say dozens of people were detained in connection to the attack. EWTN's Vatican correspondent, Colin Flynn, was nearby when that attack occurred. So, Colin, what happened?
5: It happened to be just by sheer coincidence, Tracy, that we were here in the country at the time. We were filming in Istanbul. I were an upcoming report for EWTN News In Depth about Christianity in Turkey. We were at Sunday Mass in a church just 30 minutes away in the city, which was being said by the bishop. He found out, like the rest of us, just after the end of Mass when he was about to sit down and do a one-on-one interview with me for a report. We asked him at the very start of the interview his initial reaction to this news. Of course, it had just broke. We had no details. And here's what the bishop said to us at the beginning of that interview.
3: We just are Worried about the future, because if it is a a sign of the religious intolerance, of course, for our community, could be a bad sign. Let us pray. Let us pray especially for this faithful, our brother and faith, killed right during the Holy Mass. You you
5: worry your reaction. It could have happened here.
3: Turkish people say, Allah korusun, may the Lord keep us Mm. from bad people.
5: That was Bishop Polarino, the Bishop of Istanbul, speaking to me yesterday, just moments after the news broke of this horrific attack. So Tracy, that's all we know at the moment here in Turkey, but our thoughts are with the family of the victim and the entire community there in the church who were at mass at the time and witnessed this horrific attack. In Turkey, Column Flynn EWTN News Nightly. All right.
0: Thank you, Colin. Well, it has been more than 100 days since Hamas took hundreds of people hostage in its October 7th attack against Israel. Some have been released, but a half a dozen Americans remain as talks are in high gear to bring them home. Lawmakers are demanding a resolution and fast. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with the latest. Eric.
6: Good evening, Tracy. CIA Director William Burns is in Europe meeting with Israeli, Egyptian leaders, and others attempting to finalize a possible deal. Lawmakers tell me getting all the hostages out, including the six Americans, should be the center of what they are thinking about right now. It's going to be very tough,
2: I'm very worried, but we need to make every effort possible uh, to get them released. We owe them that. Senator
6: Joni Ernst, an Iraq War veteran, agrees and tells me American hostages are trying to survive in bad conditions.
0: Held in tunnels, without fresh water, without daylight, without food, without medicine, we need them released to their
6: families. Every second counts. Senator Ernst adds there is no assurance they are still alive. Some tell me a pause in fighting is critical. To any hostage deal what you saw when the hosti- when the first hostage deal was done it was a hostage deal and a pause in hostilities that enabled us to get more humanitarian aid into people who need it. U.S. officials have proposed an initial 30-day temporary ceasefire to allow for the remaining female, elderly, and wounded Israeli soldiers to be freed. Then Israeli soldiers and male hostages, including Americans, would be released, in tandem with an increase in aid to Gaza during a second-month-long pause. Many lawmakers are skeptical Hamas would honor any agreement. I think the idea that, you know, Hamas says, oh, if you end the war, we'll give you back people. There's no excuse. There's no justice. For kidnapping children and killing families, you know, they think they're going to barter in a war with these lives So all of the promises of humanitarian aid and you're gonna we've not seen any of that And my concern is those American hostages in particular are being held for a very specific reason And I just don't think uh, American policy can be that we're going to negotiate with these people who again want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth Lawmakers tell me that they are keeping a close eye on the talks. An Israeli statement said the meeting was productive, but significant gaps still remain. That will be discussed in future meetings. Bottom line, it may take weeks or months to get the remaining hostages home. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly.
0: And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including taking a stand. Religious leaders and freedom advocates from all over the world gather in Washington, D.C. this week for an important event. We have a preview. officials in the Philippines say troops have killed nine suspected Muslim militants. That includes two key suspects in the deadly bomb attack last month during Sunday Mass. The attack during Mass left last month left four people dead. The latest operation targeted a small militant group aligned with the Islamic State. The army says it's calling on people to remain vigilant as the Southeast Asian nation works toward eliminating the threat posed by local terror groups. So advocates for religious freedom around the world are gathering this week in the nation's capital. The International Religious Freedom Summit, a 3-day event, kicks off today. Lawmakers, advocates, journalists, and others are meeting to discuss ways to fight for the faithful. According to one estimate, 80% of the world's population lives in places with high levels of government or societal restrictions on religion. And for more, let's go to the IRF Summit co chair, Ambassador Sam Brownback. He is also the former U.S. ambassador at large. For International Religious Freedom. Ambassador Brownback, great to be with you today. Uh, Before we discuss this very important summit, I'd like to get your thoughts on the ISIS terror attack at a Catholic church in Istanbul that happened during Sunday Mass. Uh, Reports say that ISIS had not previously targeted houses of worship in Turkey. I'd like to get your thoughts on this.
3: I'd say it's a terrible development. Turkey has been pretty safe interior now that Erdogan has been an Islamist and pushing exterior uh, for a lot of expansion within the Islamic realm. But it's been more of an uh, Islamic government to have Islamist terrorists inside Turkey going. At this is a new and very so damaging sorry. and terrible development. I've gone to mass uh, in Istanbul. Didn't feel any, uh, any bit of a problem. But this is a, this is a bad development.
0: Yeah, it really is so concerning. I want to talk about the summit now. Um, If you can tell us a little bit about that, some of the speakers, and what are some of the highlights uh, from this year? What are you looking most forward to?
3: What I'm looking most forward to is the growth of the movement. I feel like this is our fourth annual summit that we've done, but it's not our fourth annual. It's our fourth cumulative. The first three three, we're really building up speed, speed for the movement, and this one is taking off. We'll have the Speaker of the House. Johnson will be one of the speakers. Uh, Mike Pence, former vice president, will be one of the speakers. Highest level speakers that we've ever had. And the movement is galvanizing. It's of people of faith from all over the world standing for religious freedom for everybody everywhere. Uh, This movement is really the most dynamic human rights movement going in the world today. And it's needed because there's so much religious persecution that's happening all over the world.
0: Yeah, and can you give us a snapshot, you know, of religious freedom around the world? Places maybe where things are going really well for the faithful or some of the hot spots? Well,
3: it's easier to identify the hot spots than the really good places. Uh, China is very worrisome because of the use of technology and the control of religion. India has been growing as such a big problem. that has been a tolerant society in the past and not now. And then you're really starting to see the setting up of a Muslim Christian battle zone throughout the middle of Africa that's really probably represented the most by Nigeria uh, right now. You're seeing some of Central Asia get better, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan doing some better. And you're also seeing this global movement push back against the persecution, which is a hopeful sign that people are finally kind of stepping up, stiffening their back and saying, we're going to stand for our freedom to do with our own soul what we see fit.
0: We have maybe 30 seconds left or so, Ambassador. Um, Before I let you go, any final thoughts? And what can we as the faithful do to help our brothers and sisters uh, during this time of persecution in some countries?
3: You just need to get engaged. Find a group that you identify with, a group that you want to help. Contact. There's usually a group that's been formed to help them out and start helping them out. Contact them, seeing what you can do in your parish or in your community to invite somebody in from there to speak and tell you about what the situation is and how you can help rebuild their churches, rebuild the institutions that they have. There's just so much need around the world. And if a person will just engage, they can really help a lot.
0: Ambassador Brownback, so great to have you on. Thank you for what you do. We appreciate it. And God bless you.
3: God bless you.
0: Up next on EWTN News Nightly, creating a culture of respect. EWTN's Dr. Ray Garendi shares advice for parents through his new book, Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens. Plus, breaking the chains, a simple way you can resist temptation from the devil. The of a scholarship program in Illinois may force some Catholic schools to close. The state's Invest in Kids plan made it possible for 5,000 low-income families to send their children to Catholic schools. The scholarship was discontinued late last year. Now, two Catholic schools are set to be closed in June. However, there is hope they can be saved by private donors. Well, this is Catholic Schools Week. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops says that there are more than 1,200 Catholic high schools in the United States, and they educate more than 500,000 teens. Catholic education is pivotal during adolescent years, and parenting is also critical and often challenging. And while culture often portray- portrays the teenage years in a dark, difficult manner, recently we spoke with someone who says there is a positive positive uplifting alternative. And we turn now to Dr. Ray Garandi, a Catholic psychologist, author and host of the Doctor is In on EWTN Radio. His new book, Standing Strong: Good Discipline Makes Great Teens, hits the shelves this week. Dr. Ray, thank you so much for coming on. So first off, I have a lot of questions for you, but my first and first one is, what inspired you to write this book and what do you think makes it different from other books about parenting
1: teens? The culture is no longer on parents' sides, Tracy, especially Catholic parents wanting to raise God-seeking kids. First thing the book does is to help parents stand strong against that culture and to protect their children even when other people question them. First thing. Second thing, number one referral I get by far from parents of teens is discipline-related. So I hit hard on all the discipline struggles, respect, chore shirking, homework, hassle, sibling quibbling, technology, smartphones, to help those parents have a lot of calm, confidence in their own discipline, Tracy.
0: Yeah. uh, Dr. Ray, you know, I know firsthand, a mother of two teens, it can be hard. It can be really hard. Um, And you talk about good discipline in your book. What do you mean by that?
1: Calm, confident, discipline. Holding high standards, and don't let the experts undercut you, Tracy, by saying things like, well, if your standards are too high, you know your kids are going to rebel. That's nonsense. It's raw nonsense. Hold to high standards, enforce them, and then add a whole lot of love all around it. And that's a pretty winning combination.
0: Yeah, I love how you break this down for us. I mean, you're so real about things. Um, Social media as you know, and tech devices, all that stuff is so hard to navigate. Um, Why is this such a challenging aspect of parenting? And what's your advice to those of us who are dealing with this issue?
1: So can you imagine, Tracy, if your 13-year-old doesn't have a smartphone, the universe in the palm of their hand, where they can go anywhere, anytime, with anyone. If your kid is 13 and you believe, quite rightly, not good to put that in their hands. You're, you're in the bottom 5%. Tracy, you realize the kind of strength it takes to stand against that cultural flow? So the book tries to give parents that kind of confidence. Yeah,
0: it's hard. I mean, peer pressure is very, very tough, very tough for those kids. Another thing, you know, I was struck by was your focus on cultivating attitude of respect and gratitude in teenagers. Um, it seems like a departure from just really creating rules and consequences. Talk to us about that and instilling respect and gratitude in our children.
1: Number one discipline question I get, how do I get respect not only from my children, but to my children and children to children? So the whole, the whole chapter on respect. So that's the first thing. Gratitude is very hard to do when you live so pleasurably, you have so many opportunities, and you have so much materially. I always tell parents never give all that you can give materially. Don't do it. Don't use their peer group as a guide for what they should have when. You're trying to raise a one in a hundred child who seeks God. You're not trying to raise a culturally average child. And because of that, You're going to sometimes parent very differently, and you have to know that you're right.
0: Yeah. Any advice for parents during this time, Dr. Ray? I mean, you know, it can be very hard for us struggling to do the right thing and raise our children to be saints.
1: First thing I would say, Tracy, don't worry about doing the right thing. According to who? The experts? Don't worry about psychologically correct behavior and parenting worry first about establishing the morals and values you want to establish in your home with your children. Much of the time, the experts are not going to agree with you. Why? Because you're trying to raise God-seeking kids. Most experts don't give advice on the basis of God-seeking kids.
0: Well, Dr. Ray, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for this book. You're kind of like the parent's parent. That's how I see you. So we appreciate it, Dr. Ray. Thank you so much, and God bless.
1: You're welcome, Tracy.
0: Such great advice from him. Pope Francis reminds the faithful of the power of temptation, saying that the devil is always seeking to take away our freedom. And his Sunday address at the Vatican, the Holy Father said when we are tempted or feel we are headed in the wrong direction, there is a simple solution. We should invoke the name of Jesus because when we dialogue with the devil, the devil will always win. But... Christ has the power to cast out the devil and free us from evil. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.